Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. Today I'm mixing it up a little bit. Instead of getting your regularly scheduled episode this week with a guest, I've decided to include a very free recording of my new forthcoming book, Dr. Growth. And I'm really, really excited to have this project almost out of the way. It's been something I've been working on for uh, quite a while now. And I'm super excited that it's almost ready. One of the biggest frustrations and challenges that I see with uh, you know, entrepreneurs as far as creating the lifestyle that they want is that they, they don't really know like the good marketing that can really set their business on fire, that can really give them the growth that they want. And so that's what we really focus on in this new book is I share my best strategies for uh, getting leads, getting users, getting traffic, getting subscribers, and have you know more than a dozen new chapters, probably around you know 15, 16 new chapters of just pure growth hacking content, uh, strategies, tactics, cover a variety of different platforms, cover automation so that you can work smarter, not harder, and really everything you need to kind of give your business the extra boost that it needs. I've been really fortunate to use a lot of these strategies in my own business. It's made a big difference and been working with clients through my side hustle, Productive Panda, and been repeating these uh, the same results from my clients. So I know this stuff works. We're using it in the trenches and I would highly recommend that you uh, jump on board. You know, I've really been able to change my life thanks to some of these tactics using automation, using things that you know make my life easier and uh, allow me to travel and enjoy this wonderful life that I have been fortunate to lead. And so in this uh, podcast, I'm going to share with you the foreword to this book. And I might actually be recording you know, future chapters to share with you on the podcast for free. But for now, I just want to say uh, you know, this is what I've been up to. And love it if you could listen to Forward. And if you like it, please write back to me, danny at openworldmag.com or leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode at openworldmag.com. Well, that does it for the introduction. Thank you for tuning in again, and enjoy this recording from my new book, Dr. Growth. Marketing is war minus the venom. Advertising is much like war minus the venom. We are usually out to capture other citadels or garner others' trade. We must have training and experience, also right equipment. We must have proper ammunition and enough. Claude Hopkins, My Life in Advertising. It was the turn of the 18th century and the world was about to be torn apart by the hinges. The American Revolution brought down the British Empire and established a new order. An even bigger upheaval, one that would disrupt the entire global order, was about to erupt. In 1789, bloody revolution breaks out in France. A mob storms the fortress at Bastille. Marie Antoinette is murdered. An enraged Austria declares war on France. Badly underestimating their opponents, they are soundly defeated by a young upstart officer named Napoleon, who quickly rises up the ranks to become emperor. The Prussians, renowned for their abilities in war, were certain to not make the same mistake. They observed of Napoleon's campaigns in Austria and had come to respect their adversary. Nevertheless, the Prussian general staff was confident that if Napoleon were to challenge the might of Prussia, this young upstart would finally learn his lesson. The Prussians had reasons to be confident in their ability to wage war. Prussia had carved out a military machine dating back to the days of Frederick the Great. A popular saying of the era was that, while most nations possess an army, Prussia was an army in possession of a nation. The Prussian military staff had refined the art of war to an exact science. 
The officers that made up the Prussian general staff were decorated and veteran soldiers of many battles. They studied military history, had completely memorized the playbook, and knew every maneuver and rule of war. Their soldiers were well trained and marched in formation with perfect precision. It was beautiful to behold. Finally, in 1806, the opportunity had come. Napoleon had declared war on Prussia. At Jena and Auerstedt, sites of the first battle, the Prussians outnumbered the French two to one. And then something strange happened. Napoleon's armies were acting in ways that the Prussians had never seen before. They moved quicker and in smaller numbers. They could never quite pin down their exact movements or objectives. The confused Prussians were slow to grasp the situation or react. All of their best laid plans had to be folded up and put back on the shelf because Napoleon was breaking all of the rules. They were divided amongst themselves and quarreled amongst themselves about how to best respond. Within two weeks, Napoleon entered Berlin. He completely crushed the Prussians, who surrendered unconditionally, scarcely able to comprehend what had happened. Are you a sentinel of certainty or a champion of chaos? Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. Peter Baelish Marketing is war. True marketers are the generals on the front line, faces covered in mud from the trenches. Our reward for victory is survival and a fresh set of hungry opponents. Marketing is a fluid activity. Every new tactic or platform has an expiration date and the clock is ticking each day. And the old guard is changing. Planning is important, but brilliant, overly complex plans are useless. Perfection is the enemy of success. Simple plans which allow for velocity of implementation, testing, feedback, and response are best. The biggest wins come not from what worked in the past, but from the new, novel, and disruptive. Like Napoleon, the entrepreneurs who are enjoying massive amounts of success are the warriors, always in the trenches, always hungry. Those who have discovered and exploited powerful hacks and developed these into competitive advantages that are difficult to duplicate. Much like Moses parting the Red Sea, their success may seem like nothing short of a miracle. From SEOs building powerful link networks that let them dominate the search rankings, to affiliate marketers who discover hidden niche opportunities, they win by finding loopholes that others haven't discovered. Upheavals in almost every business niche and industry occur around us every day. Approach your life as a business and your business as life. Know how and when to improvise. Be an experimentalist, a scientist, always adapting and implementing the best methods. Many of your experiments will fail, but if you are consistent and diligent in your efforts, you will discover big wins outside of the realm of what others imagine possible. The most brilliant marketers and entrepreneurs I've been privileged to know are not simply smart business people or clever marketers. They are dedicated to becoming masters of their craft and extremely motivated. They are diligent in how they manage their time, disciplined about their work, and maintain devotion to studying their craft even after, perhaps especially after, they have hit the top of their game. They've learned to love the game. You will too, once you've discovered how to perform with consistent excellence. And finally, the last secret to success, as Napoleon demonstrated to the Prussians, is that we need to be willing to play by our own set of rules. Allow me to demonstrate with another real-life example. The most fascinating dentist you've never heard of. Around a hundred years after Napoleon rampaged around Europe, another renegade began to wreak his own havoc among another established order. He was perhaps the very first growth hacker. 
The American Dental Association called him a menace to the dignity of the profession and did everything they could to try to shut him down. But he could not be stopped. His name was Edgar Painless Parker, and he was the P.T. Barnum of the dentistry world. In the early 1900s, there were as many as 5,000 street dentists in New York alone, but the flamboyant and famous Painless Parker was the kingpin of them all. When Parker opened his practice, he waited six weeks without a single patient. He was taught in dental school that it was unethical to advertise or solicit work. He played by the rules, but after another 90 days passed with only one patient, he knew he had to change them. So he took things on the road. He bought a traveling circus and became its ringmaster. He would wear a top hat and roll into a new town, circus and dental practice in tow, proclaiming painless dentistry. He would run full-page newspaper ads in each city he visited, and huge crowds showed up. People came with their entire families. Non-patients would come to see the elephants, watch the trapeze artists, trapeze artists, or ogle the bearded lady. Out on the streets, a musician or band would play to draw attention, which also provided great cover for the screams of patients, who applied whiskey and hydrocaine. Parker would deliver his well-practiced speech from the horse-drawn wagon and offer to treat anyone. To convert his prospects, he created an irresistible offer, 50 cents per tooth extraction, and promised every potential patient that if it hurt, he would pay the patient $5, approximately $120 in today's dollars. He was enormously successful, at one point pulling 357 teeth in a single day, which he strung to a necklace. He once treated a massive 1,800-kilogram, 4,000-pound hippo called Lucas, performed at a theme park in Long Beach, and snapped photos with celebrities, all while promoting his dental services and adding to his fame. As Painless Parker pulled teeth, his adversaries gnashed their own. Finally, the establishment hatched a strategy. The California Dental Board accused him of false advertising on the grounds that no dentistry could truly be called painless. At last, Parker's opponents had this wildly upstart in a corner. Or so they thought. Parker outmaneuvered them, legally changing his first name to Painless, and they could not do a single thing. Parker continued to have massive success, banking on his now legendary name. He would go on to open a chain of 28 dentist offices, employing 70 dentists on his payroll. He brought affordable dentistry to the working class. Oh, and he also grossed a cool $3 million per year, about $72 million adjusted for today's dollars. Memorize the playbook, then burn it. My friend Jane calls many of the techniques I use rogue tactics because they defy the conventional advertising playbook. But everyone, from solopreneurs to established organizations, respects them because they work. Entrepreneurs and marketers of established companies alike seek out my aid when normal methods of marketing, the kind you see advocated on 10 million business blogs, often by people who have no clue, fall short. I sometimes call the type of work I do experimental marketing, as that's exactly what it is. There's often no playbook, blog post, or guide I can consult before testing a new strategy. To illustrate this more clearly, I want to share a concept called the Kinefin Framework. The Kinefin Framework is beautiful in its simplicity. It divides different types of labor into four quadrants, simple, complicated, complex, and chaotic. Simple work is the kind that 80% of us were involved in 200 years ago, manual, unskilled labor such as agriculture or construction. 
Complicated work is skilled labor that requires a certain amount of training and possibly a degree, such as white-collar office work. Generally, there's a relationship between cause and effect that we can deduce via analysis and some form of investigation or the application of expert knowledge. Next is complex work, which brings us further up the ladder, including jobs such as those in physics and nuclear engineering. This is the first stage to that, to some extent, lies upon a high level of pioneering thought, because the relationship between cause and effect can only be perceived in retrospect. This is an emergent practice. The fourth and final quadrant of the Kniffen framework is chaotic, novel practice. This is a type of work where one is completely on their own because there is no training, guide, manual, professor, or playbook which can prepare the person for the task ahead. There is no relationship between cause and effect at a systems level. In my mind, this is what growth hacking is all about. There's a saying that true entrepreneurs shoot first and aim later. The novel practice of act, sense, and respond within the chaotic fourth of the Kniffen framework gives us a clue as to why this is the case. The entrepreneurial landscape of today is one of revolutions small and large. It is chaos. Chaos is both a ladder for some and a pit for others. Those who discover smarter ways of doing things than their counterparts reap what they sow. The seekers, the innovators, create the biggest impact and reap the greatest rewards. Because chaotic work is uncomfortable, it provides the greatest potential for growth and advancement. When you engage in the kind of experimental work that others are unwilling to do, you already put yourself at a big advantage. This type of learning comes from doing, testing, and analyzing results. It is not the type of education that comes from reading a book. A book such as this one can start you on the path, but the onus is, you, is on you to act and continue beyond where the books stop. You must exceed and surpass them. The Prussian generals grizzled old men over the age of 60, had memorized each line from the military playbook. They knew every precise detail of every formation, but it was the outsider Napoleon who was discovering novel and innovative ways of maneuvering his troops. To his Prussian adversaries, the French army's movements seemed chaotic and undisciplined, as it broke with all of the conventional rules. Because Napoleon and Painless Parker both operated within the fourth quadrant of the Kniffen framework, which their adversaries were unwilling to do, they created huge competitive advantages that competitors could not match. In school, we were led to believe that straight A's, 100% scores, were the ideal to aim for. But academia is theoretical land, the domain of books, rules, and certainty. In the real, chaotic world, I believe this to be true. 85% perfect is perfect. 90% perfect is perfect. 100% and you've already failed. If you finish a project or a campaign of any sort, and didn't make at least one mistake, it means you spent too much time on it. 100% is too impractical to strive for. Moreover, a 100% score leads us into a false sense of security, because it implies that there is nothing left to learn. In the real world, there is always more to learn. Implement quickly. Attack the market hard. Never stop attacking. A final warning and a challenge. Something that used to be very uncomfortable and difficult, entrepreneurship, is suddenly easier than ever before, and everyone wants to ditch the cubicle to become their own boss. It's the fashionable thing. It's also become more comfortable than ever before. Such is the landscape we find ourselves in today. Everyone wants to call themselves an entrepreneur, 
and big communities of entrepreneur support groups have formed as a result. People associate with something because of the identity it gives them. When I first began to tell people I was an author, it felt so incredibly cool. I was damn proud of myself. But the identity becomes an end in and of itself, the results an afterthought. Accordingly, many of these communities are rapidly devolving into self-contained, mediocre majorities in and of themselves. And there is so much information thrown at them that they become hapless consumers for more opportunistic and often unscrupulous individuals. There is too much money in consulting and selling books about how to be an entrepreneur and content about escape, escaping the nine to five. Many among this new class of entrepreneurs rely far too much on stratagems that worked in the past for other people. They take pages out of the same playbook and fail to innovate. They create landing pages that look identical to one another, craft the same message, follow the exact same process. But the more people who engage in this type of me too entrepreneurship, the smaller the returns become. You can't pique anyone's interest or attention by copying what everyone else is doing. The Napoleons and the painless Parkers of the world come along and wipe the floor with those who cling to certainty and convention. Consider this a warning and an opportunity. My best advice is, if you find something good, implement it quickly and see if it is worth scaling. The key is to be consistent and committed to long-term growth and not merely dip one toe in the water or fall for the shiny object syndrome. People often ask me questions about what type of marketing will work for their business. And rather than make suggestions, I fundamentally understand that the secret to success requires a long-term commitment to the discipline of marketing itself. The best way to ensure success is to commit to being a lifelong experimentalist rather than pick out tactics a la carte that work for other people. I can suggest things that have worked well for me, but there's no guarantee that they will work for anyone else. What will work is committing to the long term, implementing and iterating constantly. Act, sense, and respond. Question everything, especially your own assumptions. Seek out opposing views. Become a student of life. Only through a collection of viewpoints and ideas can you find what meshes with you. Explore the truth on your own as earnestly and as long as you can. You and I are entrepreneurs living in the chaotic territory. We must accept that the ground we stand on now could vanish tomorrow. Should you wish to succeed at marketing and online entrepreneurship, let go of the need for certainty or perfection. Successes are not final just as failures are not fatal. Instead, test relentlessly. Become a student and true artist to the craft. Commit to a lifelong pursuit of learning, evolving, and growing. And use what you learn in this book and everywhere else to push the limits even further. Well, that's it for this week. That's the foreword of my new book, Dr. Growth. I know you guys are going to love it, and we'll have more news on when this will become available soon. And yeah, stay tuned to the podcast. We'll be back with your regularly scheduled uh, podcast episode next week. Thank you all so much for your support always and for listening to this show. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.